again with the depressing getting into this like now we're like yeah we're doing this thing we both seem to like it we enjoy doing it and everyone hates it (laughs) (laughs) let's get into another episode hello and welcome to projecting film the podcast where movies meet i'm your host michael deniston and the other voice the depressed one that you heard is my co-host chris maynard on this podcast, we aim to introduce you to the latest in independent cinema, not with our own individual thoughts or experiences, but by relating them to two older films that you probably have seen. Regardless, you can check out Sweet Virginia on VOD and Unlimited Theatrical now, so please do so, and even if you haven't, you can enjoy this episode. The only thing we are spoiling is apparently our own expectations for this very podcast. Enjoy! Staying in room 125. I said that I would be out by this evening, but uh, it's been a slight change of plan. What are you doing up so late? Causing mischief. Just think about going to that diner there up the road, grabbing a bite. Must be a woman in your life. Yeah. Yeah, I guess there is. Make sure you hold on to that. Not sure how you do it. I was eating all that sugar, I'd be bouncing off the walls. Uh-oh, stay in the clam. <laughs> okay. I don't need to tell you what's going to happen if I don't get the money that I'm owed. I haven't really been sleeping much lately. Time I close my eyes, I have a nightmare. Things like this, we just just gotta let them pass through, wait it out. Where's my money? I can get it! I can get it! I can get it! I guess this one's gonna go in one direction. It's just the way it is. We should have we should have uh, opened with that at the start of Pottersville. I don't I don't know what the internet's reaction is, Sweet Virginia, but uh, we may have lost our street cred with Pottersville. But so be it. Uh, Sweet Virginia's got uh, John Bernthal and uh, Imogen Poots and Christopher Abbott, Rosemary Dewitt. I mean, that is a uh, that is like the the dirty dozen of like independent f- film <laughs> at this point. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe Bernthal's lost that by by doing the uh, the Punisher Netflix series. But I do know Chris Rabbit uh, was in James White, one of my favorite films from a year or two ago, and uh, Poots was in Green Room. Rosemary DeWitt, yeah. great, has been great for a long time. Rachel getting married. That being said, so I you know, on these shows I play the trailer for for people that are just discovering it. I didn't see the trailer. Uh, I just knew this cast. I knew it was a crime movie. I was sold. But I, I will read the IMDb uh, sentence here. There's not a lot to go <laughs> on. Because I do think this is a film. This is what we think of when we want to start this podcast as far as, hey, let's let's give you some other films to, as a reference point. Because I don't think this helps. Here it is, Chris. A former rodeo champ befriends a young man with a propensity for violence. 
That's it. That's all you That's got. It? And the poster appears to be a man looking out a window at another man holding a rifle, a weapon. So is that Bernthal towards the end of the film? Is that the image they use? Hey, hey, don't spoil it for our listeners here, buddy. We're, we're going to do that with our, our weird-ass movie selections. <laughs> so I assume you have chosen nine and a half weeks. Well, obviously. You know, Mickey Rourke is the Christopher Abbott character, and obviously John <laughs> Bernthal is uh, Kim Basinger. Um, actually, we shouldn't do that because I think that promises probably a little bit more sex and food. This is not a foodie movie. So... <laughs> There's a lot of stuff in the diner here. None of it particularly erotic. It would be quite the stretch. And uh, that's coming off of an episode where we did Pottersville, which opens with furries. So, no, I'm, I'm going to go with the furries on that one. I don't think there's anything too sexy in the diner. Uh, but en- enough of that. What what have you picked? I, I have no idea. I think you could go any number of ways with this one. But uh, this is more, for me, a mood piece. So I'm interested to see what you've picked. I I just kind of it was tough because I was dialed in on the relationship between um, I don't have it open right now, but the two leads here, which I was surprised that it headed in the direction it did um, because this former rodeo star has a kind of innocence to him that's almost childlike in a way. And he can't see this man that he's recently befriended for sort of what he is. Mm hmm. And so I was thinking about that dynamic when I chose the film. So it was kind of the almost like a father figure in a way, but the father has this sort of violent tendencies. And so I went with something that's not necessarily a spot on pick, but I think that it, the things that resonated for me in the movie are definitely lined up with it. And it's a uh, road to perdition okay. because I, it's the idea of the son going on this voyage with his father and sort of discovering who his father is. And, it kind of works in reverse here where we start with this uh, violent act and we kind of unpack that throughout the film. And so that that's kind of where I was pulled into. It was the dynamic between these two men and sort of their finding each other in that way. And sort of, you know, when they, there is this, an element of fate in both of the films as well that if we sort of can see where this is going, you know, kind of working in that noir element i guess uh, with um sweet virginia so you kind of have an idea of how this is gonna unfold in the end but it still works and i think the same can be said for road to perdition because you have this inevitability about the film you know where it's heading but still the character work and the performances are strong enough excuse me to guide you along i didn't think i'd see you again read this Connor's been stealing from you for years. He's kept accounts open under the names of dead men. Men like the McGoverns. I stood there and helped him kill Finn to line his own pockets. I thought I was working for you. But I wasn't. You think I'd give up my son? He was betraying you. I know. Now listen to me. I tried to avoid more bloodshed. You wouldn't accept that, so I did what was necessary. But I've always loved you like a son. And now I'm telling you, leave before it's too late. Think. Think. Now, they're protecting him now. But when you're gone, they're not going to need him anymore. This ends with Connor dead, no matter what. That may be. But you are asking me to give you the key to his room so you can walk in 
put a gun to his head and pull the trigger, and I can't do that. He murdered Annie and Peter. There are only murderers in this room. Michael, open your eyes. This is the life we chose, the life we lead. And there is only one guarantee. None of us will see heaven. Michael could. Then do everything that you can to see that that happens. Leave. I'm begging you. It's the only way. And if I go? Then I will mourn the son I lost. And it's, I mean, it's in the title of both films as far as, I mean, the, the first, yeah. I think the first real conversation that the, the two men, the, the Abbott character and Bernthal have in Sweet Virginia is about coming from the same place about, you know, this father and son and his, his rodeo pass and uh, both of them being from Virginia and Bernthal sort of, you can tell like immediately has a bit of unease about yeah. someone maybe knowing too much about him or making too much out of him, uh, which I, I really like. It's, it's really, it's a really tense film. I mean, you, you open with, um, <laughs> you open with three murders, uh, a poker game and bar in this sort of seedy sort of criminal, uh, underworld where you think, you know, maybe these guys, this is, this is a normal occurrence in their world. But for a throwaway scene where these, all three of those characters are, killed off in that opening moment um they were really well fleshed out for just that two minutes of screen time they had you really felt like you were just eavesdropping on like you said this moment that happens week to week mm -hmm. yeah if you you know and we're obviously spoiling this a little bit but it is the opening scene um i didn't really even know i i was totally engaged with like any of them i'm like okay who, yeah. who's the guy i'm gonna follow <laughs> in this film who's like how are this how are they gonna fit into this uh, but it was not, not meant to be. So, um, mine is a little bit more clear on who you're supposed to follow. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why you're laughing already. <laughs> like, I'm not dissing the film. Which Sandy Bullock flick are you going to pull out for this one? <laughs> she's not in this. Uh, the, there is an appearance by Scar Jo. She's pretty important in this film. So Scarlett Johansson, but the primary, female lead and the the person that really the whole plot revolves around is played by Francis McDormand and I'm going with the Coen brothers the man who wasn't there from 2001 ah, excellent so also in the title but um, a little bit different from you because the way Billy Bob Thornton plays this barber is that he is <laughs> totally disengaged with like almost everyone around him when I walked home it seemed like everyone avoided looking at me as if I'd caught some disease. This thing with Doris, nobody wanted to talk about it. It was like I was a ghost walking down the street. And when I got home now, the place felt empty. set in the house but there was nobody there I was a ghost 
I didn't see anyone. No one saw me. I was the barber. Except for, of course, the aforementioned uh, Scarlett Johansson, which there's a sort of a strange, almost almost sexual but unrequited relationship yeah. where he has this mentor role uh, with this young musical prodigy, or at least what he thinks is a musical prodigy. But he is a guy who finds out his wife is having an affair, doesn't seem to have much of an emotional response to it, just sees it as an opportunity to <laughs> blackmail the man here, James Gandolfini, who is sleeping with his wife. And then, much like in Sweet Virginia, the uh, the initial crime leads to uh, a big mess. So I, I went more with uh, the, the Poots character, Imogen Poots, playing someone that sort of gets this ball rolling. And because she didn't have all the information, uh, a lot of things come to light, and it really puts pretty much everyone involved in this crime or everyone that just happens to, to sort of walk into these characters lives in more danger that. And so that goes back to the, the mood piece. I, I was thinking of the, the tone more and clearly the, with the Coen brothers, it's a little bit more comedic, but I generally was just had the sense of unease with both films as far as thinking anything could happen because pretty quickly these criminals in both films, things go wrong with their initial plan. And then you're just, you're just waiting to see, ultimately how much of a mess it's going to be. Do you think the man who wasn't there is kind of a forgotten Coen brothers movie? Absolutely. I'm trying to think what, I guess it came off of a brother where art thou, which was, uh, sounds about right. I think that was fair to say that was a mainstream success, maybe more so for the music, the, the album. Um, but yeah, I think that one, uh, was a crowd pleaser. And then, I'm trying to think what <laughs> followed it because maybe and this may have been sort of a lull for them before they got to to no country. Did they do Lady Killers somewhere in there? Lady Killers was in there, Intolerable Cruelty, which are not yeah. well regarded. The man who wasn't there, uh, I, I don't really know why the response was so muted, and maybe because I seem to think even critically it wasn't held up in high esteem. It was more just like, huh, okay. Movie is fantastic. The, the critics are wrong. It's it's one that I actually revisit quite a bit. And strangely, I mean, this is high praise for me. I have yet to cover it on a podcast until now. So when wow. I've rewatched it and I watch it about once a year, it's just for pleasure. Imagine it's, uh, that. Have you, th that has one of my favorite parts in a commentary track on that. Um, when they start talking about the idea of Billy Bob Thornton's character hosting a talk show in that character. I'm thinking that it would, I would love to see that character interview Michael Shannon as his guest <laughs> on a talk show and see how far they get. It would be about an hour and a half of silence. Just two men kind of staring off into the distance, not quite at each other over under four completed sentences between the two men. I don't oh. know. Mm, it's a, it's a, it's just, it's just actually, that's a strong bet to lay down because it's going to be right in there somewhere. That actually gets me back to one of the, the highlights of Sweet Virginia, which is a little bit more talky, but there's this. <laughs> it's not talky, though. It's not. No, it's, this is not a, uh, a Tarantino-esque uh, genre piece here. Um, I would say that Christopher Abbott's character, who is this the biggest you know threat as this, this hitman of sorts, he's the most talky, but he's not particularly revealing. Actually, what he says to, to people like is so 
it's so innocent. And maybe that's because we have the knowledge that he's a, a murderer and he's sort of just lingering or lingering around because of this, mm-hmm. this crime he's committed. But, you know, just, just inviting Bernthal to, to dinner, like really, really imposing himself, like, you know, please <laughs> hang out with me, uh, is really, really threatening here. But there's a great, I don't know if naturalism is the word, uh, between Bernthal and Abbott because they're, they're playing very sort of heightened genre characters, but their exchange is not, it's not what I would expect from this type of movie. Like the, the dialogue feels, especially from Bernthal's part, like he's just, he's throwing every line away and almost throwing every interaction away. Like he's just waving it off. Um, that I really, really liked it. Also just terrified me. Cause I was like, be nicer, be nicer to Chris <laughs> Rabbit, please. Well, he has, a. Uh... It's so part of that, I think, is his performance. But there's another part of it where it's so against type for him. I mean, every he, be it good or bad, he's usually a much heavier, imposing character in everything that he does. And like considering like Wolf of Wall Street, like playing like yeah, exactly, <laughs> like a big the, presence, the Punisher or whatever he's doing, or you know, The Walking Dead. The the guy is yeah, or. Uh, baby driver earlier this year. So he always has these very large characters and to see him do something so meek that you actually kind of forget about his physical presence throughout the film, even though he's playing an athlete, he's playing, you know, this former rodeo star um, is interesting that he can pull that off and you really buy into it. And he has far more range than I would have known. And Unfortunately, we might be losing him to other stuff, but I hope that in the in between he continues to do work like this because he's an interesting actor. Yeah, I don't think The Punisher has had such a uh, it's such a storied franchise, at least on screen, that we can say there's some sort of curse, like they used to say about like the Superman curse. <laughs> um, but you know, it didn't do Thomas Jane any favors, who I thought I, I truly thought was going to be like this next you know, movie star or just like great character actor. And that's like, once he did the Punisher, he got stuck in that. So much. So I'm still expecting it to happen. Like Thomas Jane is great. He just gets, for some reason, he just doesn't take the right roles or they're not given to him. One of the two. He he got really too into the Comic-Con world. And the, the, the fucked up thing is he was a bit too early. He was a bit too early to where like, you know, if he had gotten, cast as like an Avenger, then he's, <laughs> he's going to be in big movies, right? He's like, yeah. he's set for life and he gets his pick of, you know, I mean, Chris Evans gets to shitty like family films, little melodramas that, that tank in the spring. And then he goes back being Captain America. But yeah, Thomas Jane, he went from that fucking amazing speech in Boogie Nights where he's talking about his goddamn car. Who's got his out on the driveway? Dirk. So jealous. Ah, that shit's jamming, man. Stock down low, 350 cube, three and a quarter horsepower, four speed, four ten gears, ten coats of competition orange, hand rub lacquer with a blue plain mat full, full fucking race games. Whoa. And he like, he was everything I imagined about people who are far too into their cars. Because if you've ever seen what I drive, clearly I don't give a shit about what I'm like. I just want it to work and get me there. I have no interest in them. I don't, I don't want to know anything, but I do, I guess, you know, I still want to be that character from Boogie Nights, that guy who's just like, he's wrapped up everything, everything of value in that piece of metal machinery. I just thought he was so cool. It was the first time I ever thought a car guy was cool. And, uh, 
yeah, then it, it just hasn't worked <laughs> out for him. And uh, I really, I think, but I th- it's, you know, I think Bernthal is very, he's sort of very Thomas Jane-esque in that way. You know, he's, he seems like a f- sort of physical macho guy, a little like so macho that I could see most audiences just hating him outright just for the way he looks and sure. the roles you mentioned. He's playing someone that's sort of meant to be someone you just dislike just the way they carry themselves. And um, one thing I thought, you know, could be a criticism with this. I've, I've not seen, I'm not read any of the reviews or anything, but I remember Ryan Gosling uh, initially getting some negative feedback from people saying he was a bit too actorly in some of his earlier performances. Like when he was a younger guy, like coming up a little too like a James Dean Brando esque, like these little quirks that are totally unnecessary to the character, these little physical things. And that is something that Bernthal is doing here. Did you find any of them off putting? No, not at all. In fact, I actually enjoyed what he was doing physically with the, with his character. Um, everything from the sort of limp that he was walking with to the way he just would sort of slope in the chair when he was sitting down. It's just everything about him was meek. So I, you know, there, there, it, all supports his character arc. So yeah, I, I haven't read any other reviews on it. So I'm kind of curious as to why people had a problem with that aspect of his performance. I'm trying to remember if with the man who wasn't there, if there was any sort of issue with um, Billy Bob Thornton's performance. I don't think there was. Now there's a bit of a cheat because given what it's, it's trying to tap back into, there's a voiceover. So we do have, we have some access to his thoughts. So it's not like that <laughs> horrible talk show where, we're concocting, but I think that the, uh, the, the main credit to, to Bernthal is that there is some, some degree of buy-in with his, his sort of previous presence. And we're also, you know, as you've, you accused me on the last episode with Michael Shannon, we're talking about someone that probably generally speaking, the, the public does not know who, what his name means or who he is. There's like, Oh, that guy from the walking dead, or maybe, the Punisher when that, that releases, I believe that actually releases the day of uh, sweet Virginia this week. So <laughs> good, good for them <laughs> on <laughs> tapping into that, that uh, Marvel verse. But I, I do think if you're, if you're a fan of his and his previous work that you do maybe go along with this guy and fill in the gaps a little bit more. And you're, you're sort of waiting hmm. to see how he's going to handle this situation when uh, a hired assassin just arrives at his door, this sort of, this uh, up to this point, I would imagine not very exciting. Uh, a lot of work, given that he was a previous rodeo champion, an actual goddamn cowboy. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, now the closest he gets to action is uh, the uh, the Nazi rifle that he's got <laughs> <laughs> hanging in his lovely, I guess, motel, not hotel. <laughs> yeah. Um, what do you? How do you think this lines up against sort of? modern noirs um i think the sort of obvious coen brother that film that people would go for with this would probably be no country for old men and i'm not sure how well that would actually line up with it other than just they're both moody hmm. um i think but the cool that one's so much bigger blood simple i think that's what they would say okay that, no, i'm not saying sh- that i'm one of kid. them right, but uh, i'm not you know i'm I, I i did watch that film once when i was a teenager and i remember thinking like oh i like that I like raising Arizona better. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess I've never been that cool or that hip, but uh, I have to pull that up on Filmstruck. Um, you know, I, I, it's how would I describe this film? Hangdog. I think that's what I would say. That's, that would be my, my country terminology there that 
the the difference being that it's so small scale. I think no country it never reaches that point where you know the uh, unfortunately there the the villain I think in that film has become as like iconic as the Joker, and I don't think in a good way. Like I don't really <laughs> like that he's like a possible Halloween costume or like a meme. Um, that kind of defeats a, a, a meme. Bit. Yes. But a Halloween costume, somebody shows up at your door dressed as Javier Bardem. And that, that's actually, that's okay. Only if, and they're if they're doing it without a wig, if they're committed to <laughs> it, totally. <laughs> I guess they go to ACE hardware for their weapon of choice. I don't <laughs> you know. Sure. Um, I don't know. I, I actually prefer, it's probably blasphemous, but I, I prefer like, you know, the, the Christopher Abbott type where it's, he's not some mythic uh, being of evil. And I realize that's, that's the point of no country for old men. That's what drives, you know, Tom Lee Jones to, a <laughs> to a, the decision to retire, which yeah. uh, I personally, if I ran into Christopher Abbott, I'd probably retire. I don't, <laughs> I don't think I need all consuming <laughs> evil. No, it would take a lot less than that for me to, you know, just hang up my spurs. What I like about his character, he's he just seems he's just squirrely. He just seems like what led to this lifestyle was boredom, not that he was necessarily like born evil, but he's just you know he's just sort of absent-minded and just like fell into this and saw it like as just another gig to go to, like another <laughs> shitty gig. Um, I found that found that to be be scary, but. I I wouldn't I would not use uh, No Country because I wouldn't want to build up expectations. So that's why I chose a film that uh, a Coen Brothers film that most people probably haven't watched or seen. Doing and the Lord's probably, work. Now isn't that working against the concept of the show that we're supposed to have an inroad for people that they can? It's something they have seen, so it's kind of like these two things. That's so, the balance, though, because you know I don't uh, I don't want to oversell it. You know, I don't want to be the guy that uh, said uh, Pottersville is the next Jaws. Like, uh, I, I was, I was only doing that because I was counting on you <laughs> throwing something a little bit more on the nose that lined uh, up. So it would be, this meets this. Okay. I, I, you're, th- you're thinking, uh, how we're going to, how we're going to market this. You're, 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 you're the guy with the, the master podcast plan and I'm fucking it up by going with the barber movie, the barbershop <laughs> comedy from the Coen brothers. You know what though? If they haven't seen man who wasn't there they probably aren't listening to this podcast that's true that's our crossover i I think that's right in our wheelhouse people that are fans of that movie that can actually they appreciate the commentary track to a film like that they're on board yeah you're right all right we need to go back to your pick because we got to salvage this in some way we gotta we gotta we gotta speak to the masses so um you know what do you think with your your selection? It's uh, in what way do you think it will will sell this this crime thriller? Which I I want to be fair. I don't think this is a hard sell. I, I think a lot of people who like to watch movies. I, I don't think this is one that you're really being forced to to go and watch some something extremely artsy. It's very entertaining. No, it kind of like a less stylized, and I don't mean that in an insulting way, version of Brick or something like yeah, that. Yeah, sure. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's the kind of modern neo-noir and so if you like those things and you know a little bit of the western in there i guess because of the setting but that's very minimal in it it's more of a almost feels like because of how much of this takes place in a hotel almost like a road picture in a way Mm. um 
so, but and that's another element of it with Road to Perdition that does make me think about that uh, beyond just the relationship between the father and the son and this sort of dangerous element coming into it and the inevitability of it is, you know, just those kinds of ideas there and that it's absolutely at its core. The There are violent moments in both of these films and all of them actually, um, but all three of these films that we're talking about, they completely stand squarely on the shoulders of performance. So if you're someone that, you know, can buy into, if you like watching acting, um, then yeah, I think sweet Virginia would really work for you. If that's sort of your takeaway when you watch something, you know, like road to perdition, or if you watch the man who wasn't there, you know, those, maybe the man who wasn't there has a little bit more sort of comedy that could pull people in that. It's not just that performance, but I mean, you're, you're talking about Billy Bob Thornton and France McDormand. So, and John Goodman. So there's some, or I'm sorry, uh, not John Goodman, um, Gandolfini The they do just amazing work in there. So yeah, that's definitely a performance piece as well. So I, yeah, if that's something that works for you, then I think sweet Virginia lines up with that perfectly. Something you just said, um, Maybe sort of consider the the crime genre as far as it being about watching actors, um, you know, battle it out. I mean, like yeah, that's mm. that's one thing I've I've seen in a Reservoir Dogs review. I can't remember whose line this was that was talking about. You could you can replace the the guns in their hands. It's just their 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 will. It's just you know who's who's got the bigger dick in that film because all they do is they never <laughs> shoot. Like I mean, you know, so they they talk around shooting until the very end. They just they just talk and talk and talk. Um, can you think what is a crime film that leans into the the action side a bit more? Because actually, most of my crime favorites, I would say, are decidedly talky, and I, I wouldn't, I would never consider them action movies. Is there one that you think rides like that a crime sense? movie? Um, what was the Clive Owen one that uh, it was just all gunplay the entire film? It was basically uh, shoot one em shoot, up. shoot em up. There you go, I guess. But is, that's sort of a crime film, I guess. Um, and that definitely leans into the action side of things. So you're, like the Carnahan type style? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and if, or maybe if you go to like sort of the John Woo stuff, I guess those were gangster pictures that kind of, you know, leaned into the gun battle side of things more than the character work. Um, but yeah, like you were saying, my favorite ones, though, they don't have, you know, doves flying for no reason. They kind of just have these, you know, scenes that you can quote that maybe just sit around and watch them for a a crime film. Something like Chinatown is something because of the performance and the dialogue that really lasts. It's not because of that nose cut. I think one that would have been, uh, this is a horrible uh, pun just on what you just said, but uh, a bit more on the nose uh, would have been (laughs) uh, the drop. Also uh, Gandolfini and Tom Hardy. I I think, yeah, yeah. Very sort of similar, kind of slow burn style where you maybe don't have all the information about the, the players available, but fuck it. It's my podcast. I'm going with the Barber movie. The Barber <laughs> movie with the, uh, <laughs> the, 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 the Coen brothers, uh, did not approve. Uh, there's a scene that actually was filmed and they didn't realize that apparently, according to the, the legend, legend only to me in the editing room that when Billy Bob Thornton is watching Birdie, the Scarlett Johansson character, 
a play that he had the prop guy uh, give him something that would resemble a huge erection under his costume. And somehow the Coen brothers <laughs> missed this detail and then were furious about it. I always found that to be a strange anecdote that they would be mad about that. I felt like that was, I thought Billy Bob, it seems like he was, you know, maybe he went a little bit on a, on a riff or a drum solo there, but I felt like, you know, that's, that's the house style that fits with the band. But was uh, that his last Coen's brothers movie? It may have been the fake dick. Maybe that's what did it for him. Is that what know. did him in? Jesus. I think he's just a weird guy. You know, I just <laughs> I think it would be hard to put up with. You know, I don't. <laughs> you know, the, the other the other players. I mean, when you can work with uh, with with Brad Pitt and you can make him and beautiful people like him and George Clooney look like idiots, why well, put up with a guy that's like afraid of like antique furniture? Who needs it? <laughs> Who needs this podcast? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Play the music. <laughs> Thank you for listening to another episode of Projecting Film. If for whatever reason you need more of us, you can subscribe on iTunes. Leave us a review or rating if you like what you hear. And you can also go to followingfilms.com where you can find more of my podcast and Chris, his interview show, Following Films. And uh, I also host a show on movie podcasts called Mark As Played, where I highlight some of my favorites from other people, which is being very generous of me to punch in the direction of podcasts that I don't make. So yeah, to do so, you have to download a podcast I do make, Mark As Played. If you'd like to follow this show on social media, we are on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Projecting Film. And please come back next time as we discuss a possible Oscar contender, the Netflix original, much as that pains me to say, Mudbound. You know, there is a point in time where there's a little bit of artistry behind the way we would close these things. <laughs> you don't like my... <laughs> My, uh, this sucks, like smashing the guitar or like <laughs> breaking the amp style. <laughs> That's a part of it, but I feel like there's an element of it where we're becoming the replacements and we're both in different podcasts. From there. <laughs> Playing different songs. Look, <laughs> you know, I've, I've almost trained myself with these shorter podcasts that I have like a half hour before I'm like, why, what am I, why am I doing this? What is this? <laughs> Good night. Thanks for nothing, listeners. It's the best thing about recording these things back to back. I get to watch this implosion twice. <laughs>